It is good to be back. Uh, while it was also good uh, to be away, uh, in a sense, it was a nice couple of weeks that we had as far as vacation. It was made all the better by knowing that uh, our people are always in very capable hands and good hands. I was able to uh, read and listen to the sermons uh, while we were gone. I, I was in contact with the elders and, uh, and not just the sermons that were preached, but even the things that were going on. It is, it is a wonderful comfort as a pastor to know that you can leave on vacation for weeks or months. Uh, uh, sorry, for, you can leave on vacation for weeks and, and know that, that the people of God will still be taken care of here. And so, uh, you know, A plus, gentlemen, on, on the work that you did while I was gone. I, I do have to say, though, D minus, however, when it comes to climate management, you know, you leave for two weeks and the entire Midwest goes to pot. It took me the better part of a week to try and fix things. And as you can see, it's not even working out all that well. So there are things to work on, gents. There are things to work on. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open them to the book of Proverbs. We think here at Crossway that it is good to give you the whole counsel of God. Uh, we don't want to just focus on the New Testament or on the bits of the Old Testament that are easier, uh, the narrative parts. Uh, but we want to take and put before our people all of the counsel of God. And that includes the sort of wisdom literature. So as we had taken a couple of weeks off, I think it would be appropriate to take a couple more weeks off of the Gospel of John. We had been in the Gospel of John for about five and a half weeks. Uh, we will be going back to it in the beginning of March, but for the next four Sundays, we're going to be thinking about things and, and concepts through the book of Proverbs. I mean, Proverbs is part of what we typically call wisdom literature. It includes a, a handful of books kind of smooshed in the middle of your Bible that are, include Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. And what we want to do today is very simple. Just introduce us to the idea of wisdom as we find it in the book of Proverbs. It's not only found in the book of Proverbs. We find that wisdom is a theme that runs throughout all of Scripture, but Proverbs is sort of a, a test case for it. It isolates it and, and concentrates it. We should realize very quickly, if you have any sort of biblical understanding, that wisdom is a necessary skill and it is a gift to navigate the difficulties and the complexities of life. The Bible is fortunately, and I do mean fortunately, not a rule book or a playbook that will give you answers to every single problem that you might face. It is not really going to help you if your Wi-Fi crashes. You, you can't look it up in a concordance and have the Word of God tell you what you are to do. Reset your router. But beyond that, it, it's not going to tell you what you can do. It, it can't book your next vacation for you, and it refuses to tell you what to cook for dinner, and it has no information for you whatsoever as to whether you should buy that new video game for your kids. This doesn't help you with it. It refuses to be reduced to that kind of simplicity where we just look up our problems and it gives us answers. Rather, what we need, what we need in spades, is wisdom so that the word of God might dwell in us and we might take that dwelling and apply it to all parts of our life. We need it for everyday living. So today, we are simply thinking through the basics of wisdom, its definition, its source, its value, and its purpose. First, let's talk about the definition of wisdom. What is wisdom? Read with me, if you would, Proverbs 1, the first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. 
let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of our God. Here in these beginning verses, and although in your bulletin it says that these are the verses we're going to be preaching from, we will settle down here. We're going to be kind of all over the book of Proverbs. That's the nature of the book of Proverbs. Um, we will look, and as we look here at specifically these first seven verses, we notice that wisdom is sort of associated and combined with many other things. It's combined with instruction. It's combined with righteousness, justice, and equity. It's associated with discretion and guidance. It seems like wisdom has knowledge and righteousness built in as almost parts of what it is. And so I'd offer you the following definition for what wisdom is based off of that. Wisdom is nothing more than the intersection of right desires and true knowledge. Wisdom is, is basically where right desires, true righteousness and right desires of the heart meet true knowledge, good knowledge. We must have both of these things. Just having one doesn't do it. Having the other doesn't do it. You need to have both of these things if you are to be considered wise. Let's run through a couple of test cases here. What does it mean to have right desires, to honestly desire what is right and good, but to lack knowledge? And how does that make you unwise? This is something that I've used many times and I will continue to use because it's a good, helpful test case for us, but that's our Presbyterian brothers and sisters and those who are really strongly Bible-believing people. We could apply this to Methodists and several other denominations as well, people who baptize infants. A good deal of them are, are people that we should consider brothers and sisters almost without hesitation. They believe in Scripture. They want to glorify God with their lives. They, they believe that the Bible is the inerrant and infallible word of God. I mean, if you read even the Westminster Catechism. What is the first question? What is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to glorify God. See, I don't even need to preach. Amen. Let's go home. So, I'm joking. Some of you got really excited right there. Was just, that is unwise. It wasn't backed with true knowledge. So, listen, they, they want, they, their hearts are in the right place. They want to glorify God with all of their being. They, they honestly want to do right by God, and they think that his word is the way to do it. But, but they lack understanding when it comes to how baptism is handled in the New Testament and the way the covenants are handled from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we think that they have mishandled it, just like they would look at us and say, brothers and sisters, you have mishandled it. You don't understand what you're reading. But we would say then that the way that they handle baptism is unwise. It is unwise to handle baptism the way they do. And you can take that kind of understanding and apply it to all sorts of different things within the church, including the way we worship. Uh, we were at a church uh, down in, in Cocoa Beach on Merritt Island. It's a wonderful church. We, we're very happy that we found it. If any of you have ever been on vacation, you know how difficult it is to find a really good church, and this is a really good church. But I think that they are unwise in the way they handle their music. Their music was so loud. I am not an old man. I, I, I am, but I'm not. Some of you are looking at me like, you're kind of old, but... I'm not so old that I don't like listening to loud music. My children will attest to that. I love listening to movies loud, but that music was so loud, I couldn't hear my wife singing next to me. I think that there's something very unwise about that. Nevertheless, 
It's not just about the things of God either. You can be incredibly unwise on how you deal with people simply because you lack knowledge. Your heart can be in the right place, but lack knowledge in how you apply it. For instance, if you had a fight with your wife and you decide, well, what I need to do is I need to make it right. And the way I'm going to make it right is I'm going to buy her a bouquet of flowers. So you go down to Kroger, you buy her the most beautiful bouquet. You can find $45 to buy this bouquet of flowers and you take it home. She gets more upset at you because what the fight was about was how you don't listen to her and how horrible your finances are right now. And you realize that you just spent $45 that you don't have because you didn't listen to your wife. And it hits all of the check marks, right? And she says, I can't believe you did this. Listen, your heart might have been in the right place, but if you lack understanding, buying that kind of stuff is unwise. It's unwise. You need both of these things. No, that wasn't a personal example. I don't buy my wife flowers. So it's <laughs> you can also have right knowledge and wrong desires. So you can have all of the learning and the information that you need, but if your heart is not attuned to the word of God, if your heart is not attuned to the right things, you will be inherently unwise in how you walk through them. This is much less difficult to prove. You can look at a number of liberal scholars who know the Bible better than anyone in here, including myself, ever will, who nevertheless lead lives of total reproach before the Lord. Because they know what the Bible says. They know what it upholds. And yet they choose and reject it and live the way that they have always lived. We need to be careful of this. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's very easy to think that you are wise because you hear the word of God. But unless you're actually doing the word of God, you're just deceiving yourself. You're nothing but a fool. We should note by the way, as we walk through this, and we will note this many times, that there is an incredibly close relationship, much closer than people like to think, between foolishness and sin and wisdom and righteousness. When the Bible talks about people being foolish, it doesn't mean that they have some sort of a character flaw that they need to get over. What it means is they are associated with those who are outside of the covenant. They are not part of God's people. God's people are wise in his ways. But those who are foolish are people who stand outside who are wicked. So Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It is one who lacks the fear of the Lord who walks in foolishness. Continually, scripture places fools among the wicked and those placed out of the kingdom. In Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. This is not just the case in the Old Testament. This is the case in the New Testament. Listen to how Jesus Christ, our Lord, finishes the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The definition of wisdom, you need both right desires and true knowledge to be wise. And that leads to our second point. That is, where do we get these things from? If that's what we need, where do they come from? We can gain a lot of knowledge from the world. 
If you want to know what culture is like, you can study sociology. If you want to know what people are like in general, you can study anthropology. If you want to know what goes on in people's brains, which is a difficult thing to understand and probably a little scary, that's psychology. And you can learn a lot from all of those things. But these things can never lead us to true and abiding knowledge. Look again at verse 7. Where is the beginning of these things? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of comes again later, those words. In Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see wisdom and knowledge played off of one another quite often. So the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. So you can have all of the worldly understanding that you could possibly want. You can gain information from everywhere. And you can still be unwise in the things of God, and you will then be unwise everywhere. Everywhere. But why fear? Why is it that fear is the beginning of wisdom? Shouldn't study be the beginning of wisdom? Shouldn't understanding be the beginning? Starting to understand and understanding more in this sort of cyclical thing where you, you learn so that you can learn more and you can learn more. Why is fear the beginning of it? Because the basic understanding of the gospel, the basic understanding of all of scripture is this, that God is an awesome and mighty creator and we have sinned before him. He is glorious and powerful and we are people who are filled with sin and malice towards his glory and we would deface if we could his very presence. Therefore, we are due destruction and judgment and the weight of that judgment would crush us if it fell upon us. Therefore, Therefore, because we are inherently foolish in our sin, the only wise thing to do is to come to God and ask what he would have of us, is to come in God in fear. It is fear that ought to drive us back to God. It is fear of his punishment. It is fear of his judgment that drives us back to him. We ask because we don't want judgment to fall on us. We might still be simple. And frankly, a number of us, including myself at times, are quite foolish. But it's the start of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Notice, wisdom is not just being knowledgeable, but growing in knowledge. Listen to verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. It's not just that you've reached a stature, but that you are increasing in your knowledge and you're increasing in learning. Without fear, and specifically without fear of the Lord, you cannot be wise. Isn't this past week, the state of Virginia had a spotlight shown upon it because of a putrid law that a couple of lawmakers brought forward that was not just expanding abortion in the state of Virginia, but it would expand it to the point of allowing infanticide, which people tried to walk back on, but they just couldn't because the testimony was out there in public. And all of this, many commentators who stand against abortion had a lot to say, most of them conservative commentators. Ben Shapiro is one of those. Ben Shapiro is not a Christian. Ben Shapiro is almost certainly on the right side of the abortion debate, at least in this particular case. I don't actually follow him too much. But this is something that he said this week. He said, if your definition of feminism is the free and willful murder of born alive infants, you're not a feminist. You barely deserve the title human being. Friend, that is unwise. Ben Shapiro might be right, when it comes to his understanding of the issue of abortion. But what he said there is unwise because he lacks a fear of God. Listen, 
to think that the way someone thinks and the thoughts that go through their heads means that they can be dehumanized, means that they can have the image of God taken away from them, means that we get to look at people and decide for ourselves who is human and who is not. We cannot be those kind of people. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. It is the very image of God. To say that someone, because of things that they have said or things that they believe, is now subhuman, is to strike at the very image of God placed in that person. And by the way, with a great deal of irony, to show you how unwise it is, that same thinking is the exact reason why we have abortion and racism and the reason why the Holocaust happened. Is because people were made to believe that other folks were subhuman. You can be on the right side of an issue and be unwise in how you're on the right side of the issue. And the reason is, he doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear striking out at the very image of God. He doesn't fear calling other people horrible things because, because he doesn't fear the very image of God. He doesn't fear what that image represents. Listen to what the book of Proverbs says about the fear of the Lord and our own desires. It's not just our head knowledge, but it's our desires as well. Chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of the evil and perverted speech I hate. In 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. 16.6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 23.17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. It is the fear of the Lord that drives us away, not only straightening out our understanding of what is true in the world, but also making our hearts rightly aligned to what God would have us be. Many, I think, if you polled them, where Christians would claim, ah, that fear stuff, that's all Old Testament stuff, man. That's all Old Testament stuff because hasn't Christ come and taken away our punishment? Can't we go directly to the throne of God? Isn't that what Protestants say? We have no fear in going to the throne of God because Jesus Christ is our advocate. What have we to fear? If God is for us, what do we have to fear? You might even go to 1 John 4.18, which says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Amen. John is absolutely right there. And I'm going to look at every single one of you and tell you, as far as I know you, you ought to fear the Lord. See, it's not like these things are diametrically opposed to one another. Listen to how John speaks here. There's no love and fear, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, you can think that that's the perfect love of Jesus for you, eventually casting out fear. And I would say yes and amen to that. There will be a day when you will be in heaven and the fear of the Lord will be erased and you will only know him as Abba, Father, because you will be perfect and right before him. But until that day comes, you need to fear him. Listen to what he says at the end. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That doesn't mean that whoever doesn't fear has been perfected in love. People that don't fear could just as well be foolish. But people who are perfected in love don't fear. Okay. You don't have to fear, friends, if you're perfected in love. So if you've nailed that first commandment, you're good to go. Right? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You got that down, you're aces. God will never turn against you. He will be faithful in all things. How could he turn against you? If you are righteous and holy in all of your ways and you love him with all of your might, how could he turn you away? How could he ever do anything bad to you? But I'm going to tell you that's not where most of us live. Neither is that what Proverbs is saying. Notice we're on two different ends of the spectrum. Those who have been perfected or completed or finished don't have anything to fear. But the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. That's where you begin. Where is the source of wisdom? It doesn't belong simply with love. It belongs first with fear, growing ever more in love for the Lord. Knowing and fearing God is the start to all true wisdom. As you grow in the Lord, you'll begin to love him more. As your fear pushes you toward him, you'll begin to love him more and your fear will abate. But to start with, you need to fear the Lord your God because there are always, always chances where you will fall before him. And falling before him and sinning before God and not fearing his punishment means that you will never run to him in repentance. You will be happy where you are because there is no fear of punishment from God. Repentance is knowing that you can run to God and knowing that he will forgive you. But there's still an aspect of fear in that. To understand the fear of the Lord, there is nothing better to have at your disposal. Nothing better than scripture. It is scripture that both heightens our understanding of the world, our understanding of culture, our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves, and rightly ordains and moves our hearts to want the right things. So what it tells us continually is God is a righteous and holy God, and our hearts are not directed rightly at him. Therefore, fear him and grow in knowledge. Third, let's speak for a second of the value of wisdom. Let's listen to several of the Proverbs to sort of set the tone for this. Two, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. If you seek it, that is wisdom or understanding or knowledge, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all you may desire cannot compare with her. The her here is wisdom. Chapter 16, verse 16. Get wisdom, how much better it is than gold, and get understanding, it is preferable to silver. Chapter 17, verse 16. Why does a fool have money in his hand with no intention of buying wisdom? It's a great proverb. You, 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 got, you got a pile of money. And you're going to do something with it, but it's not good. Chapter 17, verse 24. Wisdom is the focus of the perceptive, but a fool's eyes roam to the ends of the earth. 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The picture throughout all of Proverbs, and indeed throughout all of both the New Testament and the Old Testament, is that wisdom is worth more than the things of the world. That's why gold and silver are continually brought up. There's nothing that pictures the, the desires of people who are worldly better than gold and silver. And continually, 
Proverbs comes back continually. All of the wisdom literature and all of the Testaments come back and say, no, God's wisdom is worth more than anything that you could ever buy. It's worth more than all of the treasures of the world. How are you supposed to buy this, though? How do you, how do you purchase wisdom? Let us not be like Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8, who thought that he could purchase the given spirit. So he's a new believer, and the, the apostles come and they lay hands on people, and the spirit falls upon them. And in verse 18, we pick up. When Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may also receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Friends, wisdom is the gift of God. You can't bring me money. You can't just give out a check and think that God is going to make you wise because you're so generous. What it means when it talks about silver and gold, what it means when it says that you should, you should seek after wisdom instead of those things, is talking about priorities. How do you prioritize your life? It, you've gathered here in spite of doing other things. I'm sure that many of you could pick up a, a job on Sunday mornings and you could have a little bit of extra cash to spend as you would. Uh, frankly, you could have just stayed in bed and slept. There's plenty of entertainment on. Netflix is running all the time. Cable TV and cable news all the time. There are many things that you could be doing besides being here. So what you are doing by coming here is saying that you cherish this time, hopefully you're saying you cherish this time more than you cherish those things. That is essentially what Proverbs says is the beginning path to wisdom. That you want to hear from the Lord. That you want to know these things more than the things of the world. And there are a lot of people in here who have to work on Sundays, every other Sunday, or some random Sundays. But that is a different thing altogether than choosing continually to neglect meeting on Sunday and gathering together to hear from one another and even getting up in the morning to read the Word of God. Do you cherish the Word of God? Do you cherish the instruction from the pulpit? Do you cherish the instruction in Sunday school? Do you cherish meeting with one another so that you can open the Word of God to speak it to one another? That's where wisdom happens. When he says you give up silver and gold, he means you give up the things of the world in order to make that happen. You prioritize your lives correctly. This doesn't mean that you're a monk. It doesn't mean that you spend 24 hours a day studying scripture. It does mean that your life is rightly prioritized, that this is the number one priority. Not sports, whether it's playing them or watching them. Not movies. Not sleep. Not money. Wisdom is worth more than the things of the world. Lastly, let's speak of the purpose of wisdom. As we do that, we'll read a good portion of the end of chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of a noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge if you turn at my reproof? Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. 
I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices." For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Those who are foolish, who reject the call of wisdom and refuse to take her hand, those who continually hear the call of God and Scripture to be wise in how they deal with the words and continue to reject them either by not listening to the word, not studying it, not listening for it, not even seeking it out, or by hearing it and then not putting it into practice. Man, listen to the end of what they face. They have nothing but distress and anguish, calamity. They are killed and they are destroyed. The wise, however, dwell securely. They have ease and they will be without disaster. This is the purpose of wisdom in your life. It doesn't mean that you will not meet suffering. It doesn't mean that you won't meet difficult times. It does mean, it does mean that God will be with you through those times. It does mean that you will have the tools to handle those difficult times. It does mean that there will be one day an ease that is coming to you. This is, after all, the purpose of salvation. This is the escape from hell. It's the escape from disaster. It's the escape from death. It is ease and comfort with God forever. This is exactly what wisdom is seeking to give you, not just, however, in the afterlife, but even now. It is nothing less than what we might call human flourishing. Your best life now is lived in the wisdom of God, not in the means and the tools of the world. In the coming weeks, hopefully, if the Lord wills, we'll be able to press this point home in a number of different ways. That you can flourish in your relationships with people. You can flourish in your finances. Even with little finances, you can flourish in them. If you handle wisely, you can flourish in your speech. You can flourish in your approach to justice and all of these things. You can become a better Christian. You become a better person. You can live your life wisely in the world. Godly wisdom is not just making these things better, but to lead you to peace and contentment. Whether or not you have much, whether or not you have little, whether or not you have cancer or you are perfectly healthy, wisdom will help give you ease and contentment in all of this. So friends, if you know the Lord, continue to walk in him. When you fall, fear him and come to him and ask him for wisdom and ask him for help. Listen to his voice. Seek out his face in scripture that you might be wise. To others, the wisest thing you can do is see that you are not wise before God. Many of us need this call. We are not wise before God. We are astray. We live lives in foolishness. We live the way we organize our lives, the way we speak to other people, the way we think of ourselves in reference to others. It is unwise. I don't have anything particular in mind. I'm sure you do. We should come to God and ask him for help. Come to God and ask him for forgiveness. 
for these things. Do not trust your heart in these things, which will scream to you at times that you are fine. Do not trust the world that will tell you that you are good the way you are, but trust in the words of God. There's good news here for us this morning. If you do not know the Lord, you can become knowledgeable of him by crying out to him. Jesus is Lord. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God doesn't hold back your lack of wisdom against you. He doesn't dangle it in front of you and say, if you could only get a little bit wiser on your own, I would give this to you. He doesn't mock you for it. He doesn't reproach you for it. He knows that you're a fool, and he is happy to give the simple instruction. He is happy to make the foolish wise. Ask him, and he will give to you. Indeed, it's only those who know that they truly were fools who ever truly become wise. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise, not, not in terms of scripture, not in terms of knowledge of Jesus, but the people of the world who think they're wise. God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Fools, Come to the Lord, and he will make you wise. Those of you who are burdened, come to him, and he will ease your burden. Come to him, sinner, and he will grant you forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are not wise of your own doing. You are a fool on your own but you can be wise in the Lord. The purpose of Christ's coming is to give you wisdom. The purpose of Christ's coming is to allow you not only to see your sin for what it is, but for you allow to get your sin off of your back, to take on his easy yoke that you might live a life of righteousness and goodness before him, walking wisely in the world. Seek him and know wisdom. And after all of it, Know that you can only boast in your wisdom because you boast in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, may you receive glory and honor this morning, for you are good and you do good. Give us wisdom that we might see your glory to live our lives pursuing you, for you alone can give us life, breath, peace, comfort, joy, and love. All others fail. Lovers will leave and weaken. Strength will fail us. Possessions will rot and mold. But you, you, Father, are never changing. 
You are always kind. You never fail. You are filled with goodness and love. So give us hearts to long after you. Show mercy and grace to us. And let us bring glory to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.